Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Well, I, you know, I, I, look at, I look at the world and I see how messed up it is, but also how beautiful it is. And if it just would turn its heart, just the general world would turn its heart toward God, man, the world would be so different, wouldn't it? I mean, in, in a real way, in a way that is consistent with how God created this place to be, that we experienced him in context of relationship, and we weren't trying to save the planet. You know what I mean? We carry such burdens. We carry such American versions of Christianity that it's like we never feel like you were doing enough. You, do you ever, you ever feel like you're doing enough? You know, religion will beat you up and leave you at a place where you never feel like you're doing enough. You know, it's like to just live your life in a way where you are enjoying breathing, right? And enjoying your friends and your family and enjoying life, that's not enough. You're supposed to be doing great things for God. <laughs> Don't you know that? I'm being a little sarcastic. You know, it's like, what are you saying? There's just such religious stigmas that we have in our mind about what life is supposed to be. Like, you were born to go into the ministry, and if you don't, you fail. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then, so then we have to, what is this ministry supposed to be? And some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been in those kind of churches where it's like, you're not really doing what you're supposed to do until you're in some kind of ministry. Well, you know what? Loving your kids is ministry. Yeah. Amen. Going to work. <laughs> well, they're just going to preach to themselves over there for a minute. It'll be all right. Some of y'all, I've met some of y'all's kids. That's a ministry. <laughs> well, yeah. But you know what I mean? It's like, it's not that we just want to be lazy and not do anything for God, quote unquote. But it's like, man, it's got to be a natural birth. It's got to be a natural process, a natural expression of where you are with God. Uh-oh. You know, maybe the reason we're not fulfilling our call is because we don't feel full of God in ourselves. You know, I, I, I think that if every believer on the planet were completely aware from moment to moment of the presence of God within us and our sonship in his family and our place in the kingdom, knowing who we are because of what God has done for us through Christ, man, that would give you, that's your purpose. You know what I mean? Your purpose is to be a child of God. In other words, the reason God created you was to be his child. And that's enough. But from there, because you look around and you see a broken world, we want people to know Jesus, don't we? We want people to get better. We want people to experience life to the fullest. And then when you do, man, you can tell the difference between somebody who's working for God 
suffering for Jesus, and somebody who's just enjoying their relationship with God, and then it turns into, wow, they've impacted thousands and millions because they are just being who they are in Christ rather than fulfilling a duty. The teenagers didn't laugh back there. That was good. You know, I mean, I, 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 these are not my notes, but I'm just kind of feeling this idea that people are so burdened with expectation on themselves that you're probably never going to be able to meet about your, you know, in and of yourself. It's about being established in who you are in Christ, that being enough, and then living out of the overflow of that. You know, I've seen, I've seen all different types of methods and, and, and ways to try to follow God and ways to experience the sevenfold spirit of God and ways to, you know, get more of what you already got and seven steps to blasphemy and, you know what I mean, all that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I've, seen, I've seen all that stuff where, yeah, Seven Steps of Blasphemy. You haven't read that book? You've read that book. Yeah, it's, it's it, here's what you got to do with your money to get God to give you some money. You know what I mean? It's, th- this is what you got to do with your repentance to get God to forgive you. You know what I mean? All that stuff that we got in Jesus that you're trying to get again because of your efforts and your works, that's blasphemy. I'm all over the place this morning. I know I am, but I just, I just kind of feel like, I just feel like people, need, you, need to, you need a break. You need to let yourself off the hook a little bit. Let God love on you a little bit. Let God work on your heart, bring you to a place of wholeness where you enjoy being you. And I'm telling you, when you do that, because you love God, you will do more in this earth than you ever thought you could do when you never felt like you were doing enough. You just look around, and it's like, wow, I didn't, I'm just being me. You know, people come up, and they're like, thank you for doing this. I'm like, that, that's just normal. You know what I mean? That's just normal. I want that. I think that's what the, the world needs to see is a group of believers, group of Christians that are just normal Christians, but your normal is that you are so full of your awareness of God in your life, so consumed because you are just satisfied that he loves you, and that's enough. You're not feeling like you got to get better at prophecy. You're not feeling like you got to get better at, you know, whatever it is. I didn't, I'm not picking on the prophets. That one just came to mind. But I watch people, you know, and I, if, I've, if I've had this conversation with you, don't think that I'm pick, calling you out because I have this same conversation with lots of people. But here's the progress, the, the progression we go through, and it's that, you know, we're so reactionary. You know, you realize nobody wakes up and just decides overnight they're going to ruin their lives. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You just wake up one morning, you're like, things are pretty good, but I'm going to make a mess today. <laughs> nobody does that. We got some counselors in place if you have done that. But. You know what I mean? It, it, where we are is a progression. We've gotten ourselves a little bit more beat up, a little bit more beat up. The things that we're struggling with are typically related to some lie that you adopted about yourself when you were young, maybe bad theology, maybe abuse from somewhere, a traumatic experience happened to you, 
And those things are still defining your identity and still messing with how you make daily decisions. And what church really should be all about is we just come in here and remind ourselves of who we already are in Christ and be encouraged in that and live out of that. But we're all still dealing with stuff from our past. Every one of us are deceived in some way, believing some kind of lie about our identity because of something that somebody said. And it's not like it's controlling you, but it filters through your decision-making process. And most of us are so reactionary. This is the part that I was referring to, but we wake up, you go about your day, and you're looking for somebody to blame. You know, you're, you're at, you are at some stage in this process here. It goes from, I'm looking for somebody to blame. My life is not my fault. My life is his fault or their fault or my parents' fault or the economy's fault or it was that last president. You know what I mean? It's always something. And then you realize, you know what? I'm going to take responsibility for where I am in my life. (laughs) What a concept, right? And it's really hard to do because you have to take responsibility but then also trust God at the same time. So how do you do that? And then you get to a place where you realize, okay, the gospel is true, that what Jesus did was enough for me. I don't have anybody to blame for anything, even if I have a legitimate excuse of an injustice that happened to me. I can't let that control my life. I got to let it go. Because only me can do me. Only I can live my life. And why would I want to let somebody from my past live in my head and continue to define who I am? Amen? So we get to this place. We quit blaming. We get to a place where it's like, okay, I'm going to do my life. I'm going to live in peace with God, peace as much as I can with myself, let myself off the hook. And then you get to, you know, you start experiencing some peace and some joy and some personal victory. <clears throat> Sometimes it's One step forward, two step back, five steps forward, three steps back. I mean, you know, it's a process. And and I'm not talking about becoming a better Christian or being more spiritual or anything. Really, it's a phase of how whole you are or how much do you understand God's love for you? How much are you actually experiencing God's love for you? How much does his love for you define how you see yourself and then how you make decisions. That's the process of wholeness, is understanding his inner influence to know that, man, my God loves me. My Father loves me, and that's enough. And then you start to experience and understand his, his spirit is actually influencing me. These hurts and these pains, I, you know what? I don't, I don't, they don't have as much power over me as they used to. Have you noticed these kinds of things? It's like things that just used to set you off. And, you know, next thing you know, you look around and you look behind you and there's people bleeding and something's on fire. And you're like, I, what just happened, you know? Maybe that's too real. <laughs> and then, you, you know, so you start to get to this place where you, you almost create some margin in your emotions and in your heart and in your mind. And you don't run automatic pilot patterns of destruction anymore. You can actually stop for a moment and say, wait a minute. If I do this, this is probably where it's going to end. Maybe I should make a different decision right now. A lot of people don't have have trouble with that. It's such a simple concept. And in your mind, you intellectually understand that. But can you live in that place 
where anything you face, you can stop in that moment and say, okay, I see what's happening here. This is who I am in this situation. This is how I'm going to choose to respond because I know that, number one, God's not mad at me. Number two, he's not going to leave me, and I've got grace to help me in the middle of this situation. And then you can stop and make a decision. Amen? That's, that's victory. If you can just get a hold of yourself, which that actually is a fruit of the Spirit, that you can control yourself. I don't really mean to sound sarcastic. I'm not trying to. I just, I'm talking to me, too. Let me stop, make a decision here. We're going to preach this way instead of, all right, here we go. Start over. But you know what I'm saying, all right? You, you, can you do that? Is life for you, you wake up and you're just bouncing around like a pinball machine, reacting to everything you run into and see how many points you can rack up at the end of the day, and then you crash down into the hole at night, you know? <laughs> or, or is it, you know what, I, now people get weird about this, but I am in charge of my destiny, I am making the decision of where I'm going. And then what I want to do is actually choose to get in agreement with where God would lead me and go that way. See, then, then, you, then we fall off the religious wagon then because then we go into, well, how do I hear God? God told me this, God said this, but I saw sister so-and-so say this and she kind of came up and she was floating on the ground, you know, floating about two or three inches off and she came up here and everything's perfect in her life and she prophesied and I don't know how to hear God like that. You hear God better than you think that you do. If you can just think about God and then it shift how you're feeling or shift what you think might be possible in that moment, that's hearing God. That's being able to turn your heart to be influenced by God. If you can exercise a little bit of spiritual fruit of self-control and just kind of stop for a moment and, and turn your heart toward God in anything that you're facing, and then you have a change of heart or a change of mind or your emotions change a little bit, you hear God. And in that moment of peace, Jesus can be wisdom for you. And it's not that in that moment you got to pray and then God will mystically make something happen in your life. It's that in that moment when you are at peace, recognizing who you are in God, acknowledging what Christ did for you, you know who you are. You're owning your identity. You're owning your inheritance. You're recognizing I have authority over my life and in this planet I want to give that to the Lord and be led and taught by Him. I want Him to be glorified in my life. I want His wisdom. His, and then you go to the Word. His wisdom is this in this area, and you start filling your mind and your heart with what He says about a particular situation. And the next thing you know, you make a godly decision. Not because God told you, but because you're living this lifestyle, this new way of submitting to His influence. Amen? You see what I'm saying? And it's not that you, I mean, some people hear audible voices. Praise God. Doesn't happen to me like that. Some people get like information where it's like God told me, da, 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 and it's like a sentence with an intelligible, you know, message. Praise God for that. I mean, you know, doesn't really happen to me like that. I've learned that what happens for me is that it feels like my own decision. More than 
you know, more often than not, when I make what turns out to be a godly decision, it feels like it's me making the decision. Now, the difference is, am I making that decision out of a place of peace where I've acknowledged God because I know who I am in Him and I know what His wisdom is in this and, and it rises up within me? And even though if it feels a little bit foreign to the way I might be naturally thinking, I'm still influenced by Him and then I make that decision and I'm moving. And then you, gain, you develop confidence in being able to make decisions and trust that it's under the influence of God. But see, we don't trust our hearts that way. And I don't mean trust your heart. I mean trust that God is leading you through your heart. And your heart is where you believe. You know, I think the mark of spirituality and maturity is not that you hear God speaking to you, but that you are so aware of your presence and uh, the presence of God in you and your identity that when you make decisions, you can trust that it's what God is leading you to do. And, th and then it's almost like you're, there's no difference between the decision that I would make and the decision that God would lead me to make because you are in agreement with him. You are in unison with him. Amen? And you do that all the time, every day, without thinking about it. You, you do. There are parts of your life where you naturally follow God. If you've said yes to Jesus and been reborn and given this new heart, it's already hearing from him all the time. I mean, you are tuned to WGOD radio station always. You just are. Your heart knows his voice because you're his sheep, and his sheep know his voice. But we have all these other voices that we listen to. Sometimes there are other people, sometimes there are our own, sometimes there are lying spirits. Which one are you going to listen to? It's your choice. But then, so you get to that place where you've exercised some self-control, you've gained confidence in your identity in Christ, and that you can make decisions, and it is what God would lead you to do. There are times where it might be God's like, mm -mm, nope, you didn't hear me right there, and he'll, he'll speak whether through somebody else or, you know, and that's when we get kind of weird too because if you start looking outside again, then a, every bird in the sky means something. <laughs> well, that car pulled out in front of this way and they turned that way and that means that I'm supposed to do this. Well, okay. <clears throat> Sometimes. But don't live as if God's outside, like he's your coach and he's drawing your defense plan on the board and he's like, this is what you do, and you're sitting there and you're waiting for him to tell you what to do, and, you know, and you're like, okay, we're going we're to run that plan. No, it's more like the strategy is inward. You don't look to this world to give you information about what God's telling you to do. We are to impose the will of God on this world on your life, on your loved ones, on your mirror. Amen? So you go through this, you're just reactionary. Then you get to a place where you created some margin in your emotions and in your thinking and in your expectations. And then you, then you kind of get to this place where you daily live. You're pretty confident, not arrogant, but you're just settled. I know who I am in Christ. You know what? And then you're like the three Hebrew children that are facing King Nebuchadnezzar, and they're, they're getting ready to get thrown into the fire. 
And they said, you know what? We're not going to worship you. And he says, make the fire hotter. That'll scare them. That'll get them. And they're like, you know what? Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to worship you. <laughs> That's power. Now, their expectation was that God would save them. But their attitude was, it don't matter what happens in this world, we know our God. You know, the even if he doesn't save me is not a character aspect of God. That's just them expressing their attitude. Do you know what I mean? You don't build theology of even if he doesn't. Because he does. Every time. Out of them all, the Lord delivers. All his promises are yes and amen. Always. Say always. Always. If Jesus paid for it, it's yours right now. Amen. Amen? He is not withholding from you. He is not waiting until you perform properly to then release it and give it to you. Our heart determines how much we're going to let him give to us or not. So then you kind of get to this place where it's like, all right, I'm not reacting, I'm not making messes, but yet I'm not really doing much. And so the more you nurture who you are in Christ, the more you just want to tell people. You know what I mean? It just, it just becomes this natural expression. You see somebody and you're called more into the gift of the external type things where it is about miracles and prophecy. It's like you can't help people that are naturally living out of that identity. You can't stop them. They're going to pray for everybody that's got a limp. It just happens. But then we build this kind of form of spirituality of what you're supposed to be to be a mature, really cool Christian. And then everybody else around you thinks that they've got to do that. You know, so there's always this give and take of, all right, I've got to be me. But i got to make sure that I'm helping other people be themselves, too, because part of maturity is not letting people fall into their deficiencies. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's not your responsibility how people follow God, but you can pay it. That's why we need, that's why we need each other. It's like, you, you're, you're, being, you're, you're a little flaky right now, man. You kind of need to snap out of it. You know better than that. You know? So you're living in this place where you've got some margin here. You, you actually can wake up and decide how you're going to go about your day. You're not letting the boss ruin your day. You're not miserable because your dog keeps peeing on the box in the garage. You know what I mean? It's the little things that just steal our identity. Our cats are nuts right now. It's the weirdest thing. We've moved into this place, and I think our... Yeah, we have two cats. Anybody want some cats? <laughs> this is how we're going to keep our peace. We're getting rid of those suckers. <laughs> They're very sweet. Why don't you come here sell those things a little bit? Yeah. But then it's like, okay... You start to recognize that the way you're living is actually affecting other people. Bad and good. Maturity takes responsibility for influence. That's actually what a leader is. Somebody that just takes responsibility of their influence over people. 
And so your confidence might really be irritating somebody else. How can you take responsibility over that? Well, you know what? God knows, and he'll lead you through that. As you stay at peace and you, you really do want to love this person, you want to, for them to experience God as well, you follow him through that process, you know. You ever been around people and they just don't have a clue how they're affecting others? You can sit there. This happens in, this happens in uh, again, this is not personal, but this happens in the counseling office, right, Vicki? You sit there and you got people in front of you, husband and wife, and one of them says something and, and the other one's like, they turn into a witch or something right in front of you. <laughs> and it's like, you're going, <laughs> hello, <laughs> look. And they just don't have a clue what they just did. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> and then it becomes, because, you know, we're talking about being the complete child of God and walking in our call and not doing it out of a sense of obligation because you see lack in the world, but because you are just living out of your identity in Christ. You are just so in love with God that it just spills out. You can't help it. So then you start to recognize, I actually, so it goes from you being beaten up all the time because of how you're responding to nothing's really messing with me to now I'm going to influence. And you come out of your shell. But I'm telling you, if you want a different life, you have to become a different person. The leopard has to change its spots. But how do you do that? How do you become a different person? It's interesting because when you receive Jesus, you actually do become a different person. But can you own that and live in that? All those things that you think you're supposed to be doing for God, you will do when you know who you are. You won't be able to stop it. Do you, do you believe that? I'm telling you. And it's not that you're not there now. You do it already in certain areas. But if you're wanting to know what am I supposed to be doing, it's nourish yourself in the presence of God and who you are in Christ. Give your heart information and emotion about what Jesus did for you. Grab a hold of yourself and sit yourself down and say, no, you're not going to feel this right now. You're going to feel the truth about how God sees you right now. And there's all different kinds of ways to do that. I've got a bunch of scripture here that I want to look at because this is, so I'm going to give you some information now and it's scripture and I'll kind of comment on it a little bit, but it's all, the purpose is so that we have some tools to get a hold of ourselves, create that margin of emotion and reaction and influence and, and live in a place where we know who we are, but you got to know who you are. Amen. So, just basic, fundamental, when a believer says yes to Jesus, or gets born again, or born of the Spirit, or born from above, all of those are the same thing. We don't know exactly, there was an article that just came out where they found that at the moment of conception, there's like a flash of light in the egg, and it's a release of zinc, and it's something that they've never seen before, but like there's this flash right at the point of conception. If you don't know what conception is, ask your mom. 
That's a different conversation. You know, and so like something happens in that moment where life happens, right? It's the same thing when you get born again spiritually. You can't explain it. Some people, man, boom, they just, it's like the heavens open up and they see God and they hear angels and man, they're instantly delivered from every struggle they've ever had. And some people you lead, I've led hundreds of people to the Lord. When I first got saved the first year that I understood what that meant, I, we lived in Buckhead. I hit the streets, led a couple hundred people to the Lord just because I, I didn't even know I was supposed to do that. I'm like, man, I, gotta, I made up this little janky track, you know, and took it out. I'm like, here, read this. I'm like, I'm like a dog salivating, you know. <laughs> At night, catching the drunks coming out of the bars. It was awesome. Standing there on the street corner praying and holding hands with people and people driving by honking their horns. And it's, man, it was just, it was, it's awesome. But you get some people, and you know that it's like their first time because they don't know, they don't have a clue about anything, but you know they've gotten born again. They're like, okay. And they just walk away, you know. We don't know why it re some people respond one way or the other, but something happens. And it's a spiritual process that happens within you. And what God does is he takes out your old nature or your old heart or the old man or the dead. You, you know, there's all these terminologies used in Scripture to basically say the same thing. But the root of what makes you you, the nature that you are, God takes that out. It's like Iron Man, you know, just takes that core thing out and puts a new one in. And it's a new heart. And it's a new spiritual identity. You become a different kind of being. You go from being dead in your sin to alive in Christ, even if nothing else changes in that moment. You, in this new heart, has the laws and the ways and the logic of God. It has a tuner inside of it that picks up God's voice constantly. I made that part up, just so you know. Scripture doesn't actually say that. But, but you know his voice because you become his child. Amen? And so if you could just, like, get a brain transplant at the same time, that's really what needs to happen. That's what should have happened, Lord. If we were God, see, this is what we would do. Because you still think the same way, and that's your problem. That's my problem. That's our problem. We still think the same way. And so then we start dumping a bunch of junk right back on top of that brand-new heart. But, see, if we could learn to live from our heart... I'm going to geek out on you for a minute. I was reading this book, and actually it goes back to Max Planck in the 30s who developed this idea of quantum physics and that there was a quantum field that acts differently than the observable physical plane. Like, stuff happens on the quantum field that doesn't make sense. Then they started doing some research off of his research, and they found that your actual physical heart has neurons. And they've developed this new area of science that's kind of... It's still subjective now, but it's called neurocardiology, and they're saying that there's a little brain, in other words, brain-like function in your heart. Your heart, physical heart, actually thinks, and it actually puts out more energy. Like when you think a thought, there are, there are uh, energetic, yeah, well, the synapses run the patterns, but there's actually energy that comes off of your thoughts. In other words, they put a scan. You've seen those brain scans, right? I'm going to try to tie this all together. Y'all pray for me. <laughs> but what they're measuring is the energy that's coming off of your thoughts. Incidentally, a positive thought 
energetically is 100 times stronger than a negative thought. So for every 100 negative thoughts, make sure you cancel it out with a positive thought. So you can get really weird because some people will say then that that energy is going out into this field and it's actually causing this created field out here to respond to you. Now, I believe that on some levels. You reap what you sow, you know. But your heart, the neurocardiology function that mirrors brain function energetically and chemically and other things, that is the strongest energetic force in your body, your heart. And you actually think with your heart. What they're, te- what they're saying in neurocardiology is that it's like your heart being at the center of your body kind of analyzes your entire body, and it's what makes the brain the brain is it, it sends messages to the rest of your body to do stuff, and everything else is a receiver. Well, they're learning that your heart actually sends messages to your brain. It's like your heart, because it has neurons, is analyzing what's going on in your physical body, and it will send messages to your... They've tracked all this electrically. It sends messages to your brain, and then your brain actually responds to the information your heart is sending it. Now, that's just physical. So you tie this together, right? And this is, you know, you kind of have to have some creative license because this is where the Holy Spirit has to tie this together, and we could make a bunch of stuff up. You know what I mean? But I want to be real about it. I don't exactly understand the parallels, but we know that the heart that God talks about is the same word that when it talks about your physical heart in the word of God, it's also the same word when it talks about your soulish or your spiritual heart. So there's some kind of correlation there. There's some kind of spirit, body, soul connection there with the function of your physical heart as it relates to your soulish, spiritual heart. In other words... You believe with your heart unto righteousness. Out of your heart flow all the issues of life. Now, is that physical? Is that soulish? Is that spiritual? I don't really care. That's not the point. I don't, you know what I mean. With, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You know, physically, you understand that your physical heart is analyzing what's going on in your body, sending messages to your brain, your brain responds. But so is your soulish or your spiritual heart. It kind of analyzes everything because your beliefs live within your heart. Now, if you can, your, your heart is like directly connected to God's spirit, this new heart. It's why he gives you a new one because you need to be able to hear him. You need to have a connection. And this process is also when you go through the process of the proper type of cleansing to make you holy. So that's what holiness is, is it doesn't have dirt or death or the things touching it. Like in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, if you were to touch a dead body or bodily fluids or something like that, it would make you unholy or unclean. And so you'd have to go through the right kinds of cleansing to be holy or clean. God cleans you with his spirit. He puts a new nature within you so that you can live in his presence and his presence can be in you, which means the deepest part of you is now holy. The deepest part of who and what you are is now clean. You live in direct connection to almighty God. You are not outside the temple with him behind a veil 
and you having to repeatedly get clean to go into that presence, no, that presence is in you. And it will touch the other areas of your life that you let him cleanse. That's, that's where the misunderstanding of progressive holiness comes in because we've had an idea that holiness is about doing everything the right way. No, holiness is that you're not letting death creep into those areas. And if you can let yourself not choose death, you continually choose life, you're going to let that indwelling holiness creep out into the rest of your being. And because what you believe in your heart affects every area of your life, as the Scripture says, what you believe in your heart is vitally important. More than anything, your heart affects your life. Your heart meaning the deep, your, your, who you think you are, that picture that you have of yourself on the inside, where your beliefs are, what you think is possible, how confident you are in God and His promises and your place in Him. All of that is inside of your heart. And it's almost like if you could just believe who you are in Him, you would experience the abundant life that He wants for you. You wouldn't be limiting it in every way. And we write new things on our heart. And that's what this is all about. You know, that, that almost more than anything, this church is a transformation center to get you living from your heart. But it's like you got to get your mind in agreement with who you are in Christ, and then you will live that out. Because what will happen is, when you are in agreement with how God sees you, you're going to make a godly decision that's full of wisdom and purpose and power, and then that's going to affect the rest of your world. So it's about decisions. Can you, can you, I even hate to use the phrase get to a place, but can you live in this place where you're so confident that the decisions that you're making are birthed right out of your new identity in Him? A lot of us don't have that kind of a confidence. That's why we go pay for all these seminars, and it's like, I just wish they'd give me a word. God, just tell me what to do. Well, you wouldn't do it anyway. <laughs> Maybe for a day. I'm really not down on prophecy. I'm, I'm just down on you looking outside of yourself to get God to tell you what you're supposed to do. And then the prophets should confirm that. Amen? And maybe kick you in the butt a little bit. It's like, okay, you already believe this. You know this. What are you waiting on? So writing the new truth or affirming the truth that is written on your heart is what we want to do. Now, all of that, we've got a bunch of scripture here, so I'm going to click through these. But as usual, I will send out a blog or... Uh, you can email me, clint at forwardchurch.net, if you want these notes. But the first one is going to be in Ephesians 2.1. And uh, Philip, Philip will keep up back there. So what we're talking about now is you understanding that you died to sin. You, your old man was dead. And now it's alive in Christ. And the fact that you're alive in Christ now means that you are connected to a new source of life, right? It's like taking a tomato plant that's laying on the concrete and then putting it in soil so it can actually grow its roots. 
Laying on the concrete, that thing's cut off dead. You know what I'm saying? You put it in the ground, it can start to grow its roots. That's, that's what happens to you. You're dead, cut off. But then you get planted into God and grafted into Him. That, but the old, you're not laying there on that concrete anymore, dead, cut off from God. Now it's about how do I learn how to recognize that I am alive and nurture my own heart from drawing on God's presence, drawing on His kingdom that's within me. So as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And then skip to verse 4. But because of His great love for us. Why? Why? Because of His great love for us. Did I go too fast for you there? Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. See, we missed that part about because God loves you. It's got to start there. When you deal with areas in your life that are still influenced by death or your choices toward death and destruction, and when I say death, I just mean sinful or not godly, not stuff that God's getting ready to whack you up outside the head for, but stuff that you just, you just still, you know, it's familiar. You just still choose that way of thinking that produces depression. You just still say that thing that sets your spouse off, but you just do it anyway. Those kinds of things that I mean, right? Dealing with that stuff first starts with knowing that God loves you. That's always the reason God wants you to experience an element of salvation, healing, wholeness, restoration, is because He loves you. So this is kind of the process of renewing my mind and getting my heart to live out of this new identity it starts with God's love. God loves me. Why do you guys preach about God's love all the time? Because that's the, that's the reservoir to drink from unto wholeness. Amen? Amen? So Romans 6, let's jump over there. You know, sometimes you preach heavy on God's love and you get criticism that, well, you're just giving people a license to sin. <laughs> I made a good choice in that moment right there. I was like, I could say something. but People that say that, they don't understand our new spiritual identity. They're looking at your actions to determine how saved you are and thinking that God is relating to us based on our physical existence rather than our spiritual existence. And they're afraid that you're going to sin. I want to tell those pastors, they're going to sin anyway. They're just lying to you about it because they're afraid you're going to beat them up like you do. Be nice. So, that, but that's the criticism. Paul faced this. When Paul preached the gospel, the Pharisees' response was, are you just saying people can just sin and get away with it? And then he says this. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No, no. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? This is, the, this is a difficult truth for you to admit about yourself. If you still live in sin as a believer, you're choosing it. It's not your nature to desire it. You've lied to yourself that you do desire it. You've lied to yourself thinking that it's going to get you where you want to go. You don't naturally crave sin as a believer. As a 
recreated child of God. Your nature is to thirst after righteousness, peace, and joy. That's why you feel so bad when you sin after you're saved. Because you know better. You can enjoy sin a lot more when you're unsaved. <laughs> Don't you, right? Then you get saved and you're like, ooh. <laughs> Verse 3, Don't you know that all of us who are baptized... See, this is, this is where you've got to take this and dig deep into your heart and get these things in there. Identify with this. Identify with his death, his burial, his resurrection. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into... Now, the moment we hear baptize, because we live in the South, we immediately think water. <laughs> what is it that you're baptized into? Right there. Baptized into... Do you see that? We're not talking about some external act of being dunked in the water. You're, what we're talking about here is that you were fully submerged in Christ. He's all over you. He's all through you. He's in you. And he can't be in you unless God does something to you to make you a proper, cleansed host for his presence. So that's what it means to when you read, you got to ponder these kinds of things. We just read through that and we think, yep, I got water baptized one time. I was baptized into Jesus because I got water baptized. No, that's not what it's talking about. I'm not saying you shouldn't get water baptized, but you should. That's an outward declaration of what has happened to you inwardly. Have you taken the time to think about, meditate on what does it mean that I was baptized into Christ. Feels kind of good, doesn't it? And then you meditate on that. And don't make up a bunch of stuff where it's like, well, God told me, blah, 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 blah. If God tells you stuff out of that, that's fine. Make sure it's consistent with the word. But experience what it is to be placed in him. Amen. You were baptized into his death. Amen? Think about that. When you said yes to Jesus, somehow spiritually, that puts you in the place where you experienced the death that he experienced. That's where this exchange happens. What he went through, he did it for you. He died so you could live. Now, I'm not breaking away from what I was talking about earlier. This is all connected together because what we're doing now is we're just going to look at our identity based on what the Word reveals about it. Do you know what I'm saying? All of the stuff where we're talking about dogs and cats and spouses, this is how you deal with it. This is how you change your identity. This is how you change your life. You get into something like this and you understand that this is not just church talk. This is not just Bible speak. This is real life. This is what I have to make present in my mind and in my heart, that I was baptized into Christ. You know, it's like when we start using these terms, it's kind of like we go to a different part in our mind. Do you, you, you know what I mean? 
Because I've seen people talk. They'll start talking. You know, it's like people come in or even in church or whatever. You see people in church. You see them outside of church. And you're like, what, what, who, who are you now? They just act different. Because we have these compartmentalized ideas of when we start looking at Scripture, it, it's not as natural as every other part of our lives. But it must be if you want to change. This is how you change. You let this stuff tell you who you are. You let it become real within you so that you feel it. Like in this moment, you know that you will not taste death because you died in Christ. God will not cast you away because you are alive in him. Everything that Jesus inherited is yours because you are in him. And, and, and can you do that? Can you do that in a real way that changes how you look at those decisions that you have to make? Because that's going to be the environment where you can then be led by the wisdom of Christ in you into whatever it is that you got to deal with in your life. Verse 4 again, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Oh, wait, I went backwards, didn't I? So go back to uh, Romans 6, 1 there. Sorry, Philip. Verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That's why God sent one of the reasons he sent Christ, so you could have a new life. Aren't you sick of dealing with the same stuff? You can have a new life to the degree of which you let Christ live in you. And you know how you do that? You let the Holy Spirit teach you. There's just no other way around it. No man, no woman, no pastor, no prophet can get up and teach you how to actually live under the influence of God. That's your responsibility to believe this stuff and connect with God and work out your own salvation. That's what working out the salvation is. It's like, no, my relationship with God is my responsibility. You can't get mad at somebody else because they didn't teach you this stuff or they're not teaching you how to do it. Nobody can teach you how to do it. Nobody can be the Holy Spirit for you. Quit putting people between yourself and God hoping they're going to fix you or change you or teach you something that you think you don't know. Trust God. Amen? Colossians 2, 6. So then just as you received Christ, how did you receive Christ? By faith. Continue to live your lives in him. So how are you to continue to live your life in him? Amen. Verse 7. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Okay, now, this is another element, thankfulness. Where am I? Am I thankful for what he did for me? You know, that's just another part of the process. Skip down to verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, 
in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. What does that look like for you? What does that tell you? And then he gives you some instruction over in the next chapter. Now, when you read Scripture, like if you, let's say you go home today or this week, you decide to read Colossians. Don't just read like half the chapter of chapter 1 and think that you've got the full understanding of what that's about. You know, you can't just pick certain verses out. Read the whole thing. Verse 1 of chapter 3 is in line with chapter 2. You want to experience it. He tells you how to put it into practice. Uh, Colossians 3.1, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, not up, but above. In other words, there's a difference. It's not necessarily you're not looking, you're not setting your heart on God way up there. You're setting your heart on the fact that God is above your failure. That God is stronger than your uh, lack. That grace, the things that are above, grace is above sin. I have more opportunity to choose life than death. You know, it's like, are we going to take responsibility for what we let roll around in our heads? Verse 13, when you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. I went backwards again. Last one, Galatians 2.20 and 2.21. Everybody knows this one, but it's, is it true of us? Do we know that do we live in this? I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. There's some keys in that. You can frustrate the grace of God. Not because God gets disgusted with you because you keep failing but because you're trusting in yourself to be righteous. Do you know how you know if you're trusting in yourself to be righteous? Is if you feel like God moves further away from you if you sin. Because that's self-righteousness. If you feel like God is angry with you because you've messed up, that's self-righteousness. You're frustrating the grace that he's trying to supply to you to live in that righteousness. If you think because you didn't give enough money that you are cursed and God is not going to rebuke the devourer off of your life, you are self-righteous. You're stuck in the old covenant for one thing, but you're self-righteous because you think God's provision for you and blessing for you is dependent on what you do. You know, there's so many things we got to rebuild. Because with money, you just use it to teach your heart to trust God. You sow into what's happening. You believe in what's happening here, you give because you want this message to get out there. You believe that people are going to change how they see God and actually yield their hearts to this transformative process. That's why you give, not because you're going to try to trick God into giving to you. You can't outgive God. People just make that stuff up. I know I've packed a lot of stuff into this, but it's just true, you know? Can we 
take off the religious way of thinking and realize there is life in the Word of God. There is life in me. If I'm struggling, I need to go and find out something about who I am because there's not a single area of life that God is not seeking to breathe life into, that He's not trying to help you. There's wisdom in this Word. There's strength in there. But it's the strength is as you get it in your mind, you let it get into your heart, and you start to actually make decisions out of who it says you are. Decisions to overcome sin and darkness and death, but also decisions to experience righteousness, peace, and joy, abundant life in this life. You know, if you're not taking the time to rebuild who you think you are in Christ, you're not going to all of a sudden naturally walk into a business idea where you're going to make multi-millions of dollars. You know what, do you know what I mean? It's like if you're sitting there thinking, well, God, you're my provider, and you're thinking that he's just all of a sudden going to show up and make something happen, it's like, no, you won't handle that. you you got to get to this place where you know who you are in him, and you're naturally living toward what he would lead you to. Amen? Amen. So what does that look like for you? How can you do that? What, where are, what are the areas of your life where believing that what Christ did for you actually can be a source of inspiration to make different decisions. Maybe for you it's just, you know what, I'm gonna, this week I'm going to practice this idea of creating some emotional margin around me, not reacting, so that I can choose out of a place of power rather than reacting. If you can do that, man, I'm telling you, that's the environment where you're going to learn the wisdom of God. You're going to learn and trust your own track record of from that place of peace choosing a wise decision and being led by God through whatever it is that's next for you. And if you can make it a regular lifestyle of doing that, you'll turn around one day and this amazing stuff will be built behind you and you just look and it's like, man, he just added these things to you because I daily trust, I daily affirmed my identity. I daily leaned on his grace and wisdom and then I would make a choice. And it gets, you, you end up making choices 10 years or a year from now that you thought you'd never be able to do because you can change. Amen? Father, we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your life. We thank you that you didn't leave us dead and cut off, but you loved us. You looked at us in our dark, dying state and said, I want them still with all their brokenness, with all their pain, with all their failure, I want them still. And you reached down and picked us up as we looked towards you and said yes to Jesus. We just affirmed that what Jesus did was for us, and you engrafted us into yourself, into your kingdom. God, teach us to live in you and through you and from you.